0: Um, but just to introduce you briefly to what is happening, this is part of a letter that is to a church, and that church has is, is been doing really well, but the, at the end of this letter the, the writer really wants to give lots and lots of practical instructions. So we've been doing a series of sermons that pick up on um, those practical instructions in really small chunks, um, and so Matt is only going to speak on verses 19 to 22, um, and we are going to be thinking about how we can be God's people but who are actually listening um, and paying attention to when he is speaking to us through others. Um, But to give us a bit of context to those verses, I'm going to read um, the whole section that's got all those instructions in. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses verses 12 to 24. I'm going to read that, and after I read, I'm going to invite Matt up to speak. But let me read 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 24. Now we ask you... Brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Matty's now going to come and speak to us. Well,
1: well, uh, thanks, Josh. and uh, Hi, everyone. My name's Matt. Um, I'm a member here at Christchurch, and it's really great to be with you, whether we're here in CFS or whether we're watching at home. Um, It's really great to be together. Um, I'm just speaking on verses 19 to 22, so um, keep that open for us, Um, but I'm just focusing on don't quench the spirit, don't treat prophecy with contempt, but test everything, hold on to the good, and reject all evil. But um, before we dive into that, why don't I pray for us, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Let's pray. Father, as we come to today's verses and we think about the Holy Spirit, we ask for his help, Um, his help in understanding these words, but also for his help in putting them into practice in our lives so that we can live for Jesus. Amen. Well, um, today we're nearly at the end of our mini-series, looking at just one section of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And I hope that you found it helpful sort of breaking it down a bit and just looking at small chunks at a time. I think I've found personally that one of the benefits of doing that is that it really allows us to start getting practical about what it would really look like to put these things into practice in our lives. Sometimes in a sermon we we can cover quite a lot can't we and then um, if you ask me on Friday what last week's sermon had been about i I might struggle to give you everything that was in there. But when we break it down like this, it's it's easy to remember, isn't it? And it starts to get really, really practical. And as we've done that, I've been reflecting on what following Jesus looks like in our lives. And I think I've been struck by the beauty of it and the challenge of it as well. It's really beautiful to follow Jesus because, well, Imagine what kind of community we'd be if we really put these things that we've heard this month into practice. We'd be a community that's patient with each other, with our words. We'd be a community where you could make a mistake and be met with grace and forgiveness. We'd be a community that's joyful, like really joyful, and less anxious as we learn to depend on God in prayer. And that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? That would be a great community to be a part of. And people would want to join us when they saw that. It's beautiful to follow Jesus. But it really is challenging as well, isn't it? It's a high bar that Paul has set for us. I was actually on holiday down south when Daniel and Chris gave us the, the first two sermons on patience and forgiveness. And as I thought about those, uh, those sermons, I visited the, the Roman bats um, a holiday pickle come up um, in Bath. Um, but I was comparing um, how the Romans lived and worshiped with how Paul calls us to live and worship when I walked around the bats. And it hit home to me that living as a Christian, it really is utterly radical. In the 1980s, historians discovered these um, lead curse tablets at the bottom of the pool in Bath. Um, basically, if someone stole something from you, you'd curse that person. You'd write it down on a tablet and throw it into the pool. And the goddess that they worshipped, Sulis Minerva, um, she would take revenge for you. And then um, this is a real curse tablet that I saw. Um, And the the curses, they're actually for really trivial things. They're for ridiculous things, some of them. So this one says, Dochomedes has lost two gloves and asks that the thief responsible should lose their minds and eyes in the goddess's temple. I mean, it feels like a bit of an overreaction, doesn't it? Um, I lost just one glove last winter. I got off the bus and saw it pull away with one glove on the seat. And I feel like Dochomedes doesn't even know what pain is until he's done that. But it is an overreaction, isn't it? And that kind of behavior, it just wouldn't fly with Jesus. You know, Romans, they curse their enemies. But Christians, we're called to, to forgive, to make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong. And even to go one step further than that and to strive to do good for everyone, including our enemies, it's, it's radical, isn't it? Yeah, it is beautiful, but it's hard to live like that. And as I've been mulling over all that Paul commands, it's been easy to start to feel slightly discouraged by what I see in myself. I, I don't often live like this. I've been battling anger and impatience for years. And if I really want to show people what Jesus is like, if I really want to follow him with my life, then my anger, it's more of a problem than I want to believe it is. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. Following Jesus, it literally means putting to death our old selves and living as new creations so that we can display him to the world. Well, if it's so hard and if it's so radical, then why would we follow Jesus. Well, Paul reminds us of that at the start of chapter 5. So just have a glance at verses 1 to 11. Paul says here, Jesus is coming again soon. He's bringing in a new kingdom and a new rule. And we get ready for that kingdom now. We prepare for it by displaying his character now. At the moment, we can see people preparing for a new kingdom in Afghanistan. And that's a kingdom of fear and oppression. And watching as people prepare for that incoming kingdom is terrifying, isn't it? If you can, you flee from that. But Paul's saying here, there's another kingdom coming. Because Jesus is coming soon to usher in his kingdom. And it's going to fill the whole earth. And Jesus' kingdom is not like that. It's a kingdom of love of peace, of gentleness. Jesus's kingdom is one where the least is the greatest and Paul says we prepare for that kingdom now by displaying Jesus's character now and so we need to change but change doesn't come easily does it? But the way that we change the method by which we grow in everything that Paul's commanded us to do is what he focuses on in today's verses. Paul says, don't quench the spirit. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. That's how we prepare for Jesus's coming kingdom. So let's break that up a bit. Verse 19, don't quench the spirit. A few years ago, 17 million people took part in the Ice Bucket Challenge. Um, Basically, you put a video of yourself on Facebook where you had a bucket of icy water poured on your head for charity. Um, I don't quite see the link, but people did it. But Paul here is reminding us everyone who's a Christian has the person of the Holy Spirit living inside us. And he's changing us, he's making us more like Jesus. And Paul says, don't pour cold water all over the Holy Spirit's fire. Um, Because if we're to live ready for Jesus' return, if we're to prepare for his kingdom, then we need the help of the Holy Spirit. And I just want us, um, you don't need to flick there, but I just want us to look at some verses from Titus, which shows us why we need the Spirit's help. So these verses, they kind of give us a before and after picture of what life is like with the Spirit. They show us what we were like before we received the Spirit and what we're like now. So in Titus, Paul says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another, but... When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. And not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. There's real hope in these verses, isn't there? Jesus is able to save us and to renew us by the Holy Spirit. Before the Spirit was poured out on us, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved. And that led to us living in broken relationships. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That's why no Christian can boast. That's what we were all like before Jesus. We were foolish and we made bad choices. We were disobedient. You know, part of being a Christian is that it's relational, isn't it? The Spirit lives in us and reminds us that we're God's children. And so obedience is a joy because we love him and he loves us. But before the Spirit, we were disobedient. We rejected God and chose to rebel against him. And we were deceived. Even if we heard the truth about God... Well, we were deceived. We couldn't know it for ourselves and enjoy it the way that we do now. And we were enslaved. Before the Spirit, we thought that we were free, but actually, we just gave our lives to loads of other things that aren't God, and those things enslaved us. That was life before the Spirit, but the hope of this passage is that in his kindness and his love, Jesus saved us and not because of righteous things we've done but because of his mercy but he doesn't just leave us living in malice and envy by his spirit he's renewing us we're being transformed into people who display Jesus's character it's really dignifying isn't it where we were foolish before the spirit is making us wise Where we were disobedient, the spirit is leading us into obedience. Where we were deceived, that the spirit is guiding us into all truth. And where we were enslaved, well, the spirit is giving us freedom. And Paul tells us, don't quench that work of the spirit. Don't pour cold water on him. Don't resist him by clinging on to our old lives. If Jesus is stretching out his hand to save us, then we grab his hand with both of ours. We don't grab on with one hand and try and hold our old lives with another. We grab on with both hands. Paul puts it like this in Galatians. He says, if we live by the spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. So we live by the spirit. We allow him to work in us and to change us so that we display Jesus. We might even be aware today of ways in which we are doing that, ways that we know that we're being foolish or disobedient or where we're allowing ourselves to be deceived or enslaved. And Paul says we need to put to death our old nature and live instead by the Spirit. Don't quench the help of the Spirit, by clinging on to our old lives. But what if we don't know the ways in which we might be quenching the spirit? It can be hard, can't it, to know the ways in which we might be doing that. It can be hard to know what we need to to put off to follow Jesus, and it can be hard to know what we need to take up to follow Jesus too. And so Paul encourages us here that we need the words of other Christians We need them to bring God's words to us so that we can understand what we need to do. We need them to prophesy to us. And he says that another way that we can quench the Spirit's work in our lives is by refusing to hear the words that other Christians speak to us. So that's our second verse today, verse 20. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Now, before we go any further, this word prophecy, it's kind of hotly debated, and I'm no expert, but let me just try and give us a bit of a framework so that we can move forward with with that word. In the Bible, priests are people who talk to God on behalf of the people, and prophets are people who talk to people on behalf of God. And in the New Testament, and we saw this when we looked at Acts lately, The Holy Spirit comes to all believers and makes us all able to prophesy to each other, to speak God's words to each other. When Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says that every believer should desire to prophesy. And he defines prophecy really broadly as as this. He says the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. And he says that we should all desire to do that. But when God speaks to us through the words of another Christian, when they try to bring God's words to us, we test them. We test them against what God's revealed in in the Bible, his perfect words. And we, we, we test them, but the fact that God can speak to us through other Christians, the fact that they can point us to Jesus in this way, it's really comforting, isn't it? If we're not sure how we need to live for Jesus, then we can ask other Christians, and by the Spirit, they can speak God's words to us so that we can be helped. Um, a few years ago, I was training to be a primary school teacher, um, and I always remember this one lesson that I was teaching. I was teaching a religious education class to a bunch of seven-year-olds, and um, at the end of the lesson, I sort of gathered everyone together on the carpet and then as recapping what we'd learned in that lesson and I had my back to them I was writing on the board and then suddenly I heard this humming noise and I was like oh man I've been in school before I know this game I'm going to turn around and everyone's going to pretend that they're not humming but someone's humming but when I turned around everyone was sat perfectly still with their legs crossed and their arms folded Everyone except Julia Miller, um, she's on the next slide. Um, I realise that when a full name it sounds like a hater, I don't. Um, but Julia Miller was sat with her legs crossed, her arms out like this, her eyes tight shut, and she was just humming. Um, and now if I was a better teacher, I would have just told her off and moved on with the lesson. Um, but I was never a very good teacher and I kind of thought this could be quite funny. So I said, Julia. What are you doing? And she sort of kept her eyes shut, and she went, "Mr. Thompson, I'm trying to hear from God." And it's like, oh man, I, I might remember this wrong, but I remember everyone taking a sharp intake of breath when she said that. But um, I asked her, "Julia, have you heard anything? Has God said anything to you?" And at this point, she opens her eyes and goes, "No, but I'm pretty hungry, and that could be why." <laughs> <laughs> And so I looked at the clock and I kept them five minutes late for lunch. So I was like, off you go then. But I do wonder um, how often we think that to hear from God, we have to be a bit like Julia Miller. Julia tried really hard to create the right spiritual conditions for her to hear from God. She you know, got in the right pose. She closed her eyes and shut herself off from everyone around her so that God can hear her. I mean, in Julia's mind, God is far away. He's well away from the world. And to hear him, we've got to shut ourselves off to the people around us and to the world. And Paul says here, Julia's wrong. I mean, she's seven, so we're not going to judge her. But she's wrong. God is far closer than Julia thinks. He's perfectly happy to meet us in the word of a Christian brother or sister. And he's perfectly happy for us to carry his word to other people in the way that we speak. The Apostle Peter, he encourages all Christians. He says, Jesus is coming soon, so anyone who speaks should do so as the one who speaks the very words of God. We're commanded, talk to each other as though you speak the very words of God to each other. Both Paul and Peter, they have a really high value on what we say to each other, don't they? Listen to this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I, I love this quote. Bonhoeffer says, But God has put his word into the mouth of men in order that it may be communicated to other men. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother in the mouth of a man. Therefore the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. And that also clarifies the goal of all Christian community. They meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. It's a great quote that, isn't it? The Christ in our own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of a brother. But we meet together to speak Jesus to each other. We meet to proclaim the message of salvation. He's saying roughly the same thing as Paul. We we need each other. If we're going to change with the Spirit's help, then we need the Spirit's help to guide our conversations with each other so that we can say helpful things to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. And with the last 18 months that we've all had, this prophesying to each other, this speaking of God's word to each other, it probably feels really difficult doesn't it but it's probably more important than ever before at the moment it's quite easy for us to feel disconnected from each other you know we all sit two seats away from each other um, in the last 18 months we've had services that have been online and we watched them in our homes and the main way that we could communicate then was by posting a comment to the side of the video in the last 18 months, we've had connect groups that are online, with dodgy Wi-Fi and videos that freeze. And we couldn't meet up in the way that we normally do. We meet up and have real conversations with each other. We've seen each other less in the last 18 months, haven't we? And quite naturally, I think that just means that lots of our big life moments have slipped through the cracks without our church family around us in the way that they, they normally are. Online church was a blessing, but it's not a place where you can easily put into practice what Paul's saying here. And that's a problem because when we're disconnected, it's easier for us to just slowly drift away from Jesus to slip into cruise control. It makes it a little easier for us to hide our sin and it makes it harder to ask for help when we need it. And the last 18 months have quite naturally probably brought up lots of struggles, lots of feelings of tiredness, maybe some doubts, and an awareness of our own weakness in most of us. My guess is that all of us here today need to meet Jesus in the word of a brother or sister. And so to do that, we need to open ourselves up to their words, speaking God's word to each other will help us to be built up. And to do that, we need to see each other. But I I do understand why the thought of conversations like this might make us uncomfortable. I do understand why we might be tempted to treat prophecy with contempt. It's really costly, isn't it, to open ourselves up like this and be willing for other Christians to speak words into our lives. There's a vulnerability that's involved in that that doesn't leave much space for pride. It means welcoming difficult conversations where our life decisions are up on the table for other people to offer their input into. It means our weaknesses are sometimes displayed. It means people have permission to share how they think the Bible applies to our life. And when we think about what those conversations are like, well, it is easy to think why we might treat it with contempt. And when I got married, it really didn't take long for all sorts of sin to kind of bubble to the surface. And what I needed was for my church family to come around me and to speak to me so that I could be strengthened, so that I could be encouraged and comforted. And that was actually quite a painful experience. I felt quite exposed at times and, you know, it was quite hard to, to face that. But I also experienced the benefit of it. The beauty of other Christians speaking to me to reassure me, to strengthen me, to encourage me in that, and to comfort me. The cost in this is big, isn't it? But the reward, the payout is far bigger. Christians speaking God's words to us. But quite rightly, there are lots of questions about prophecy, aren't there? What happens when people say things that aren't helpful or say things in a way that's not helpful? Or what happens if we think someone said something and it's just wrong? Well, Paul's got advice for that too, that the final verses. Test all prophecies, hold on to what is good, and reject every kind of evil. Uh, that's verses 21 and 22. I suppose the point of this prophecy is that we offer each other words... And we make ourselves open to receive those words. But in the end, it is about how all of us live before Jesus ourselves. Jesus is coming soon. And when he does, we give an account of him um, to him of our lives. And so we search the words that other Christians bring us to find stuff that can help us to live well before him. And so Paul says, test what people say. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil and picture a water filter you pour the water in and the filter takes out any toxins it takes out anything that's bad for us but it allows all the good stuff to flow through and we we drink it and Paul's saying here when someone speaks and says I think that this might be what God would like to say to you at the moment we're like a water filter we filter out anything that's bad, anything that the Bible forbids, anything that would lead us away from Jesus. We filter that out, but we're left with anything that's good, and we take that, we accept it as God's kind word to us. Here's how I think this might play out in real life. Um, When I was a teenager, I just joined a church Um, And not long after joining um, in a service, they split into uh, small groups to to pray for each other. Um, And when we were praying for each other, a lady in our group said that she thought that she had heard a word from God for everyone in the group. And so she went round individually saying, this is what I think God might be saying to you right now. And it seemed really specific and really tailored to, to that person. It seemed really kind of personal. And so I was quite excited. I was, I was ready for this. But then when she came to me, I, I just don't think she... It didn't feel like she gave a specific word to me. She said, um, I, I think that God is saying that you need to burn for Jesus like a fire. And I was like, ooh, feels a little bit flat, to be honest. And so I rejected that because it just it didn't seem right for me but actually paul here is saying be like a water filter test what she's saying hear it and weigh it up against the bible and if i'd done that and if what she was saying was you should live wholeheartedly for jesus then i can accept that and i can hear that as god's word to me to say i want you to live for me i can affirm it be a water filter But just as we begin to finish all of this, the way in which we speak to each other and the way in which we receive each other's words, it all displays something to the world about who we think Jesus is, because Jesus is the start of all of this, and he's the end of all of this. Jesus is the start of all of this prophesying. We were wandering far away from God. We were facing his righteous wrath, and we deserved it. But Jesus, in his kindness and mercy, died for us, rose again, and brought us into a family. And by the Spirit, we can speak God's words to each other. He's the start of all this. He brought us into that family. But he's the end of it as well. We do this so that we can speak God's word to strengthen, encourage, and comfort, so that we can... Be changed so that we can display Jesus to the world. Jesus is the end of this, and one day He'll come He'll come and He'll usher in His kingdom. And on that day, just think, just imagine how grateful we'll be for anyone who spoke to us to encourage us, to strengthen us, to comfort us. In a few minutes, we're gonna take communion. And as we do that, we declare that we're one body because we all share the, the, the same bread. And the way that we speak to each other, it shows that we're one body. We need each other because we're one body. We need each other to speak Jesus to us. And we do that so that we can grow in his likeness to the watching world. So as we take communion, let's display our unity together in Jesus and our dependence on each other. How about I pray for us? Father, we thank you so much for Jesus' kindness and his mercy. We thank you that the Spirit is changing us to make us more like Jesus. And we thank you that we can speak helpful words to each other to encourage, strengthen, and comfort. Father, we pray that we would show our unity and show that we're one family by welcoming those words. And we pray that you give us wisdom to, to test them, to filter out the good and to live wholeheartedly for you. Amen.